Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for being here today. It's great to get to worship God together, isn't it? It is just awesome. And, it, and as great as the worship time is, we know that our God is so much better. The goodness of God and how he is running after us. It's important to remember that. When we are struggling with all of the things going on around us in our lives, family struggles and health struggles and cultural struggles and political struggles and theological struggles and all of the things that we deal with, just to remember, hey, we serve a good, good God. Are you thankful for that? We need to be reminded of that. That's what today is all about, is to recenter our hearts on him. All the junk of the week, all the stuff that, that has distracted us from focusing on Christ and on our Heavenly Father, that's what this service is all about. Not so that it just happens here, but to kind of give us that shot in the arm we need for the rest of the week to keep us focused entirely on him. So thanks for being here today. Thanks for making this a priority. I think a lot of people are probably traveling this week. There are a lot of faces that I don't see out there. So chances are a lot of you are watching online right now. And I want to say hi to all of you that are out there. Last week, we had about 500 people watching our services online, uh, which, which is growing for some reason. For a while, it seemed like the online was going down, the in-person was going up. And lately, the in-person's been going up and the online's been growing. So I don't know what's up with that, but we're welcome. We're glad you're here with us today. And uh, thank you for worshiping God with us wherever you are, whether you're traveling or on vacation or, or sick at home, some of you, whatever's going on in your life right now. You are part of this worship service uh, with all of us together, even though we're not physically in the same place. And that's been one of the interesting things about this pandemic is just understanding that the body of Christ is not so centrally located that we all have to be in the same room at the same time to all worship God together and support each other. And that's an important lesson that we have had to learn. We can worship him and be united as a body of Christ no matter where we are at, at, at the time. We find creative ways to do what God has told us to do as the body of Christ. Well, if you are new here, uh, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church, and I am so glad that you are joining with us today. I just want to share a couple of things with you as we transition from our worship time with music to our worship time with the Word, and that's going to happen in a little bit. But before we go there, just a couple of things to draw your attention to. One is we have a brand new website today. And it's still efree.org. We didn't change the name or anything. But if you go to efree.org after the service, you know, not right now, after the service, I see everybody just whoop, right down to their phones. Fine, go ahead, look at it now and then get it out of your system, right? Because then we're gonna be in the Bible. Uh, we have a new website. Our communications team worked really, really hard on it. It's uh, new and improved. It's not crazy different. It's just better in virtually every way. So you can go there. One thing I did learn this morning is that for some reason, and this is terrible, but for really bad, for some reason, today and today only, the give link is not working, which is like of all days, this day, new website blues, and uh, they're trying to figure it out right now. But I did learn that there's an alternate link that is working. So if you go to efree.org slash give, which is where we usually take you, it's just going to spin. But if you go to efree.org slash giving, it's going to work. Why? I have no idea. And that is beyond me to go figure out right now. So if you go to efree.org slash giving, you can give and support the ministry of the church. Of course, there's also the giving boxes out in the lobby, and you can do that as well. Now, one of the things on the new website that's really important right on the homepage, if you scroll down, you'll see that there is a baptism service coming up, and that is on August 8th at 6.30 p.m. In fact, before that baptism service, we're gonna tailgate. So we're gonna bring food and grills and, and whatever you wanna do. You can order pizza, you can get Chick-fil-A. No, you can't get Chick-fil-A. Isn't that sad? Some of you know why. It's Sunday. You can get it the night before, put it in the fridge, heat it up, 
if you wanna do that. Or whatever you wanna do, bring out your food. We're gonna tailgate together. We're gonna have a baptism service. And there are so many new people in our church right now and lots of you watched online that I feel like it's a good idea to talk about why we do baptism the way we do because you may not know. You may come from a different, a different church that does it a little differently and it might be strange to think about why do we do it the way we do here. So let me just give you a, a brief kind of refresher. Back in the days of Jesus, there was something called ritual bathing. This came from the Old Testament when God talked about living water and washing for purification. And the Jewish people developed that in this concept called ritual bathing. And they created these pools all over Jerusalem called mikvahs. Those of you that went with us a couple years ago to Israel, you saw a bunch of these. Uh, those of you that are going this November, you'll see these, these ritual bathing pools called mikvahs so they could immerse themselves completely underwater and be considered ceremoniously pure before they would go do certain activities or go to the temple, those kinds of things. The really wealthy people had these in their homes so they could be ritually pure anytime they wanted. Just go down there, dunk in the water, you're ritually pure. Well, John the Baptist came along. And if you've watched The Chosen, they call him Creepy John, which is so cool. So Creepy John the Baptist comes along and he changes this a little bit. In fact, the Pharisees in The Chosen do a good job talking about this. They say, wait, he's dunking people underwater for purification? And they're like, no, for repentance of sins. So John changed this a little bit. And he said, be baptized not just to become ceremoniously pure, but to represent a repentance that's happening in your heart. And so this is an outward expression of an inward change that's happening in your heart. You're repenting of your sins and you're showing that by being baptized. And John the Baptist said, someone is coming after me who is greater than me, who will baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And that someone was Jesus. He changed baptism a little bit more. And he said, not only are you baptizing by showing your repentance of sins, but you are identifying with me in this act, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, you are proclaiming the fact that you have been transformed into a new person, a completely new person, reborn, as Jesus told Nicodemus. You are reborn, and you are showing that through your water baptism. You're baptized with the Holy Spirit when you trust in Jesus, and then you're baptized in water to demonstrate that change that's happened. Now, here's the thing. This is one of two main commands that Jesus Christ left the church two ordinances we call them, the Lord's Supper or communion and baptism. And this is a command that Jesus has for every believer. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, this is a great time to do it. And if you're watching online right now, maybe you don't wanna be in the building with us in here. It's an outdoor baptism, okay? So outdoors, we don't do this in the wintertime, but in the summertime, we will go outside, we'll have this baptism service. You can sign up at efree.org slash baptism. Again, that's August 8th at 6.30 is the baptism. Five o'clock is when we're gonna do the tailgating. I hope you'll join us for both of those things. Now, one of the really amazing things um, uh, uh, that this church has going for is we're a part of an organization called the EFCA. That's the Evangelical Free Church of America. And this is just a fantastic organization to be a part of. Some of you may not be familiar with it. We, we don't talk about it all the time, but you'll see it on our website. You'll see it on our materials. Uh, but behind the scenes, the EFCA is doing a lot to support us at this church. And we support the EFCA as well. And so there are pastors in the EFCA that on a regular, weekly, sometimes daily basis, I'm talking with and we're learning together and we can bounce questions off each other and they are helping this church and we are helping other churches. It's just a blessing to be a part of the EFCA. We have a great privilege today to have the president of the EFCA with us to bring the message to us this morning. So I'm super excited for you to hear from him. Kevin Complin has been the president of the EFCA for six years. Before that, he was a senior pastor for many years. He 
was also the director of Reach Global for Africa, our missions ministry over to Africa. And so he's been involved in the EFCA for a long, long time, has a great vision for this ministry, has done an incredible job leading it, and has been a real blessing to me. What we want to do now is show you a video to give you a little bit of an introduction to the EFCA, and then Kevin's going to talk about the vision and values for the EFCA, just as we've been talking about vision and values for our church. So first, let's watch this. The EFCA, or Evangelical Free Church of America, is a family of self-governing churches united around the same core beliefs. Together, our mission is to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. The EFCA began in 1950, when two collections of churches, the Norwegian, Danish, and Swedish Evangelical Free Church Associations, merged together to form one Evangelical Free Church of America. Today, there are more than 1,600 EFCA congregations across the United States, and they come in all shapes, sizes, and locations, from small towns and suburban neighborhoods to major metropolitan areas. Our churches are supported by 17 regional districts that provide resources, expertise, and networking for local pastors and leadership. Those districts are then supported and resourced by the EFCA National Office in Minneapolis. Together, we strive to follow Jesus' commands to love others and make disciples of all people, both here in the U.S. and around the world. Globally, the EFCA recruits, trains, and supports more than 600 missionaries in more than 50 different countries across five different continents. Like beautiful Tanzania. And here in Germany. And here in Japan. In partnership with U.S. churches and locally-led ministries, we do things like help meet physical, educational, and spiritual needs of children through child sponsorship, respond to global crises with physical aid and spiritual hope, and send groups and individual young people around the world to learn leadership skills while making disciples. On a national level, we support and equip pastors and leaders within their local contexts, provide training and host events for student ministry leaders and youth groups, and lead nationwide ministries to promote ethnic and cultural diversity and share Christ's heart with the marginalized and oppressed. All of these different avenues lead back to one main goal, church multiplication. Whether it's global missions, crisis response, or student ministry, at the EFCA, everything we do aligns with our mission to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. It is such a joy to be with you this weekend. I've been looking forward to the opportunity to come to St. Louis to be with you for weeks and the opportunity to be here, to hear what God's doing in your congregation and to be able to, well, pause initially and say thank you is really important. Your partnership with us in the EFCA on a national level of what we're doing across the United States, in the district level here in the central part of the country, and internationally through our mission, Reach Global, is making a huge difference. And I want to tell you thank you. 
Thanks for your prayers, your financial support, and being a part of what God is doing. And I'm thrilled to know that what God is doing here, he's continuing to multiply his work right here in St. Louis and through you in so many other places. You see, six years ago when I stepped into the role of EFCA president, I, I began asking the question, Lord, what would you really want us to be about as an association, as a movement of churches. And there were two things that God really impressed upon my heart during those first weeks. The first was that we would have a true missions mindset. In other words, this idea that we would look at our communities through the eyes of missionaries, we'd listen to what's going on around us through the ears of missionaries. So that as we looked at our communities, we could ask the question, where are the unreached, the unengaged, the unnoticed in our communities? And who are there around us who shares our heart to reach them that we could partner together with? It's a missions mindset. The second that he put in my heart is this idea of oneness. It's what I call one EFCA. It's where local churches like yours Regional districts like the Central District that you're a part of, the national ministries across the United States and internationally around the world through Reach Global in way more than 40 countries, that we could work together on things that matter for the kingdom of God based on values we share and trusting relationships. Uh, now, over the last six years, with the exception of the pandemic, Becky and I have been able to travel across the country and literally around the world to be with pastors and leaders, to be with our missionaries as they're serving in different places, to see what God is doing. It's incredibly exciting. And yet there's some things we share because truthfully, we need to know what the values are that we share so we can build on them. Well, in those early days, when I started thinking about the values we share, I thought, I know there are things that were a part of the free church movement over a hundred years ago. I mean, back when there was a significant spiritual awakening in the Scandinavian countries in Northern Europe, where people were coming to a genuine faith in Christ and God was at work that was brought to the United States as they immigrated here, that started churches that grew across this country. Those values were there then and they're here now which started me on a quest to discover them. So I met with pastors, young and old. I spent time with leaders in local churches. I spent time with our missionaries in various parts of the country, those that had served for a long time, those that were fairly new in our mission work. And I said, what are those values that hold us together? I started studying the scriptures as well, especially the life of Jesus saying, I know there are some things in the life of Christ that are reflective of those values that have been a part of the free church movement for well over a hundred years. And the Lord made it so clear as we landed together on what I call some foundation stones. They're like the, the stones that, of the foundation that the building's been built upon of this thing we call the EFCA. And what I love is that they're really clearly shown in the gospel of Mark. So I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter one, because in Mark chapter one, we begin to see these values just literally jump off the page of scripture for us to see the things that matter in the life of Jesus and his ministry and that matter to us as an EFCA. 
Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is what it reads. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment because I think it's important that we understand as we get a look at Mark's gospel. He starts his gospel in a little different way. He starts his book a little differently than Matthew or Luke. Now, we tend to describe Matthew, Mark, and Luke as what's called the synoptic gospels. They, they sort of unfold the life of Jesus in a similar way. And Matthew and Luke both start their gospels with birth narratives. They talk about how Jesus' birth came about. So in Christmas celebrations, what are the two Gospels we tend to read? We tend to read Matthew and Luke. Mark starts out in a different way. In fact, the first word in Mark's Gospel in the, in the, in the original Greek text is the word beginning. It's like the beginning. Now, that, what does that remind you of? It reminds me of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, first book in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Mark chapter 1, he says, the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. But the very first foundational stone or value that we see here in Mark chapter 1 is the word of God. Do you notice that, that the first thing Mark does is quote from the Old Testament. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming and clear the road for him. As a free church from the earliest days to now, it's been for us, the word of God is the foundation upon which we look to find truth. It's the word of God. It's knowing and obeying God's authoritative scriptures. From the earliest days in the Scandinavian countries where the state church was the church that every citizen of the country automatically was a member of the state church. And a huge spiritual awakening swept that area in the mid to late 1800s. As people came to a genuine faith in Jesus, they started gathering in homes for what they called readers groups. And what did they do? They read the scriptures and worshiped and prayed and celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Because from the very beginning, friends, we've been people of the book. And in those early days up until today, the rally cry was, where is it written? Where stands it written? 
We're talking about an issue. What does the Bible say about it? Because we're Bible people. And that first foundational stone is the word of God. It's knowing and obeying God's authoritative, inerrant, holy word. But keep reading with me because that second foundational principle comes after that. In verses 7 and 8, John's message, this is what he announced. Someone is coming soon who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The, the second foundational value of the, of the free church is an abiding relationship of faith in Jesus Christ. It's prayerful dependence on Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a personal walk of faith. It's committing my life, my heart to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and for you the same. It's saying, I am following Jesus. And John said, you think what I'm doing is significant you just don't understand. There's someone coming after me. I'm not even worthy to be like a slave and untie his sandals. He's going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And if we went into John's gospel and we read chapter 14 in the upper room, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says to them, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit to you. He won't just be with you. He'll be in you. He'll empower you. He'll teach you the things that I've said. He'll remind you of things. It's that walk of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit in dependent prayer. And that goes back to the very early days. From those first readers groups that started what they called free churches because they were free from the control of the state church. They began to immigrate to the United States by the thousands. And when they came, they started free churches, initially in places like Boston, New York, Seattle, Minnesota, Iowa, Chicago, some of the larger cities. And they began to plant churches. But they gathered together because they shared a like faith in Jesus Christ. It's abiding. Well, keep in the text with me because what we find our third main foundational value, look down at verses 14 and following. Verse 14 says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. Now, you've seen that word good news in the text we read earlier in, in Mark chapter 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. The word good news is a word that often is translated the word gospel. Gospel simply means good news. Friends, in the, in the free church, and here at First Free, we're gospel people. It's the centrality of the transforming work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his soon return, all of that is the work of Christ. It's the central part of the gospel, and as 
Jesus said, repent of your sins and believe the good news. We're gospel people. That's the message. Now, in our name, the Evangelical Free Church of America, that first word is the word evangelical. And boy, in our culture, the last several years, that word has been kicked around a lot. What does evangelical mean? Can I simplify it for you? That word that is good news, the word good news or gospel, it's the word evangelical. It's where it comes from. In fact, the word evangelical is nothing more than an, an English translation of an ancient Greek word that means good news. So what are we? We're carriers of good news to a lost and broken world. That's who we are. What we do is founded upon the scriptures, a personal walk of faith in Jesus Christ with the centrality of the gospel. And the fourth foundational value we read next in the text in verse 16. And one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. You know, this fourth foundational value in this text is mission. It's great commandment, great commission, disciple-making among all people. It's being on God's mission together. So what does he do? Jesus comes. There's Simon and Andrew. What are they doing? They're doing their job. They were fishermen. They fished for a living. They're casting their nets. Jesus sees them and he says, leave your nets. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. I'm going to put you on mission. And it's my mission. And what kind of mission is it? It's great commandment type mission. You know what the great commandment is from Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And this is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as, your, as, as yourself. And it's great commission mission, which is as you go, make disciples of all nations, all peoples. Baptize them, teach them to obey. It's being on mission with God. I love the fact that a part of what even started this movement of churches we call the Evangelical Free Church of America was a heart for mission. It was to plant churches in the United States from those handful of churches early on. We continue to multiply and plant churches and launch ministries across this country to the point today there's about 1,600 congregations from just a handful a number of years ago. And it's not only here, it's around the world. One of the things these churches gathered together to do was to be on mission, to plant churches here in the United States and to send missionaries. And so over 130 years ago, these churches sent their first missionary overseas, a Danish man by the name of Hans von Qualen, who had connected with two 
Chinese immigrants in Chicago who had come to faith in Jesus, who shared with him about their burden for their homeland, and the free churches banded together and sent them to Canton, China, to be able to share the gospel. And about three years ago, Becky and I were privileged to be able to be in Hong Kong for the 135th anniversary of the Chinese Evangelical Free Church. Did you know the largest free church in the world is in Hong Kong? There were 15,000 people in the convention center at the Hong Kong airport. They had to give away tickets because they didn't have room for everyone who wanted to come to celebrate 135 years of work of lives being changed across Hong Kong and into China because a handful of churches in the United States 130 plus years ago decided they were on mission with God and they sent missionaries and it's still happening. And your partnership with the district in planting churches and with our national office in equipping church planners and with Reach Global in training and sending missionaries and training national leaders. It's making a major difference. We're on mission with God. But, but back to the text with me. It goes on. In verse 19, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired man. What I love about this passage, Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, and he says, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you fishers of people and not men. I'm going to teach you how to do that. I'm going to put you on a mission, but I'm not going to do it alone. You're not going to do it alone. The fifth value is community. We do it together. So what does he do? He calls James and John. And he called more people over the course of what we read in the Gospels. It's doing what we do in community. It's the priesthood of all believers in appropriate interdependence. It's understanding God's called us to be his ambassadors, in a sense, his ministers out in the, in the community, in the world. He's called us to do that, but not alone. He's called us to do it together. A sense of community. Now, if there ever was a time, friends, where we need a sense of community in the church in the United States, it's now. Over the course of the last 15 to 18 months, we've been separated from people more than we probably could have imagined. And we need one another. Worship and fellowship together are so important. The connections in smaller groups and Pastor Adam, I wish I could be here for the baptism service on the 8th. I mean, that just sounds incredible. Out on that north patio area out there, People's eating and celebrating new faith in Jesus. That's the sense of community. We do it together. But it doesn't stop there. If I had time today, I'd take you through large sections of Mark's gospel, and you'd see Jesus interacting with religious leaders called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were legalists. They had set up not only, not only the laws of, of the Old Testament, they had set fences around the law to keep them from breaking the law. They were the quintessential legalists. And you contrast them with Jesus, who was fully obedient to his father and obedient to the truth of God's word, but who was filled with grace. 
And we have this sense of grace and not legalism. So the sixth foundational value is unity. It's in essentials unity. And in the rest, charity. That's why within our statement of faith, 10 points of our statement of faith, it describes the gospel essentials of what it means to be a Christ follower. It's, it's that essentials we're united in. And there's a number of other things we may disagree about, but we do it graciously and lovingly. You know, these are challenging days for the church, my friends. Anger and fear that have led to conflict and polarization all across our country. And it's not just out there, it can be within the church. And it's painful. Oh, the pandemic and all the issues that are a part of that, but issues of race and justice, gender roles, sexuality and sexual identity, all of those things are out there that are before us. It's important how we have the discussions about those things. When I was a young pastor, um, I served on our district board and the uh, district superintendent asked me to go along with him to a meeting with elders and a pastor in a church not far from where I was serving in Southeast Minnesota uh, to, to go with him because he was going to meet with them and this it was going to be a pretty contentious, difficult conversation. And, and so as I was in the car with him, and I was probably 33, and he was, you know, in his early 60s, he'd been in ministry all of his life. And I was in the car, I looked at him, I said, so Dean, when you come into these kind of difficult situations, how, how do you prepare yourself? What do you do? And he said, I pray the John 1:14 prayer. And I'm going, I looked at him, I said, uh, the John 1:14 prayer, I mean, I've heard the Lord's Prayer. What's the John 1.14 prayer? He said, in John 1.14, the Apostle John, who knew Jesus during his earthly ministry, probably as well as anyone, maybe with the exception of Jesus' mother Mary, he described Jesus in John 1.14 as being full of grace and full of truth. He said, when I go into difficult situations, I pray, Lord Jesus, make me like you. Make me full of grace and full of truth. And then he paused and looked at me and he said, and I think John led with grace on purpose. Because too often we tend to take truth and beat people with it. And he said, I want to be like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Paul wrote about it in Philippians chapter 2. When he described Jesus, he went on to describe Jesus sacrificing himself for us. He said, you need to have the same heart and mind in you as Jesus had. And he said, you need to count others as more important than yourself. It's not about us, Jesus said. It's about how you treat others full of grace and full of truth. I think that's what we need to start. We need to practice that in abundance. Well, so when I thought about these six foundational values that we stand upon, the word of God is 
knowing and obeying the inerrant authoritative scriptures, and it's about an abiding walk of faith, a personal faith in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's about the gospel being at the center of what we do when we're on mission together, great commandment, great commission kind of disciple making, that we get to do it in a sense in community, and that we get to do it out of hearts of unity and grace. I said, so, all right, that's who we are. And our mission is to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches. How do we do it? I came up with this little diagram. And I want to show it to you because I think this could be helpful just to understand what we do. And First Free here fits so well in what we do. If you'll notice, it starts at the top of this, of the green section in the center. It's about multiplying disciples and disciple makers. It's more followers of Jesus and more of them becoming more like him and leaders that exude that and continue to multiply that. It's extending the gospel into communities. It's saying, where are those people who don't know Jesus? How do we engage them? It's strengthening churches that are here. It's revitalizing those that are struggling and it's starting where they don't exist. That's what we do. And it's all rooted on those foundational values that we share that lead us toward the mission God's called us to. Earlier today, Pastor Adam and I were talking about what God's doing here. And, and he shared with me that just, over, just recently, a, a new vision for the church was launched along with some really good distinctive values. And so I said, wow, what are they? And he printed them out for me. I, I, I read the vision and it, my heart just jumped. The vision for this church is that First Free Church is a growing community passionate about worshiping God, reaching the lost, by reconciling people to God and to each other, growing spiritually, praying continually, deepening community, that's deeply caring for each other, and developing leaders who will continue those pursuits in every area of life. The vision for this church fits so beautifully in that diagram I just showed you. And the distinctive values, Jesus is the difference, love is a verb, heaven is big, outreach is for everyone, community is core, leadership is learned. I read those and I thought, wow, we're all a part of something together that matters for the kingdom of God. I'm excited about what God's doing here in this church because with a vision like that and values like that that are moving you forward, God is going to continue to do some really significant things here. But I have a question I want to ask you. As I look at the church in the United States, and I served for 24 years as a senior pastor in a couple of churches and 10 years overseeing the Africa ministry for Reach Global and now six years in this role. And I've talked to a lot of people and seen a lot of situations. And you know what I found is that in the, in the church, we're really good at understanding the what and how of ministry, what we should do and how we should do it. Really good at determining plans and executing those plans and making sure then we evaluate how well we did. And all of that is super important. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's not important. That's really important that we do that well because there is no work in, in the world that has 
eternal value like the work of the kingdom of God. And no matter what your vocation is, he's called you to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. It really matters. We need to do the what and the how really well. My concern is, have we lost the why? Why we do it? You still have your Bible? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to the right in your Bible and you'll find a wonderful little letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the why is unpacked for us. Chapter 2, verse 1, this is what Paul writes. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live in that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Friends, the why comes out of the compassionate heart of God for lost people in a broken world to reconcile them back into right relationship with himself. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you know, before we came to faith in Jesus, we weren't sick in our sins. We were dead in our sins. Can dead people help themselves? Not that I'm aware of. I read a quote this last week that's really stuck in my head. And the quote says this, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. That's us. So in light of this incredible opportunity we have to be on mission with God as a local congregation connected with the EFCA on a district level, national level, and around the world, built on those amazing foundational values of the word of God and an abiding relationship with Christ and the gospel that's the center, and we're on mission with God together in community with a sense of unity based on grace. I have a question for you. Have you lost the why you do what you do? Is, is, is it about doing the things you're supposed to do as a Christian? Read your Bible, pray, be involved in the church, share Christ with your friends, your coworkers, your family. All that's wonderful stuff. You need to do it. But have you lost a bit of the why? that flows out of the compassionate heart of God for lost people 
in a broken world, to bring them back into right relationship with himself. Oh, our world desperately needs to hear that. We're in a world where people are polarized and they're, they're like lobbing verbal hand grenades at one another. And here we are, carriers of the good news. Because we were dead. And in Christ, God made us alive. And we have a message that says, be reconciled to God. He can make you alive too. I counted a privilege to be a part of this association and movement of church as we call the EFCA and to be a partner in ministry with you. And I pray that in the days to come, God would do some amazing things in and through First Free Church in St. Louis, that you would step back and say, oh my goodness, we never could have believed God would do this. But it's because we have taken that message of the good news out of the loving and merciful heart of God and we've shared it with others and we've lived it among ourselves to the glory of God. Let me pray for you. Father, what a privilege it is to see what you're up to in this local church. Lord, I, I just have been thrilled as I have heard and seen more of what you're doing in ministry. And the days ahead are days that you want to continue to see the vision of this church lived out, to see those values, those distinctive values permeate this congregation. And I thank you that the values that we live and serve you from come from the word of God and the very life and ministry of Jesus. So would you empower this congregation to be everything you desire her to be in ministry in St. Louis, in the Central Districts, across America and around the world to the glory of God. Because God so loved us that he sent his only son so that we could have eternal life. And praise God, we're on mission with him. In Jesus' name, amen.